So we are going to continue in Romans 8. We're in 826, and I've entitled the message, Where Does Your Strength Come From? Because a lot of times we like to think that it comes from ourself. And in a sense, it does. We have to, we have, to have the buy-in. We have to be willing to, to do what not only the Lord wants us to do, but sometimes what we need to do, maybe what somebody tells you to do or somebody asks you to do that maybe you don't want to do. I know nobody likes to be told what to do, right? I mean, I know my four programs, I don't want anybody telling me what to do because I did just the opposite. I was sneaking out, crawling out the window, you know, tried to steal a car from the car dealership next door to Victory Outreach, got caught. Yeah, I was going to sell that car for a sack, man. I'm telling you, that would not have been worth it. I'm pretty glad I got caught. So, but, you know, we do desperate things in desperate times. But I really just appreciate when we can settle in and allow God to work in our lives. We were, I was with a pastor saying we were praying just through scripture that maybe came to our mind. And the scripture that came to my mind is a, is a pretty famous scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, when, when, you, when you think about it and you say, I know the thoughts or the plans. So if I think about it and I say, I know the, the thoughts that the Lord has towards you or towards me, and then I stopped to think about that and put it in context, and it's like there are billions of people in this world, billions. And if we go past, present, and future, I mean, that's even a bigger number, amen? And so I, I stopped to think, and I think, why is God, or how does God even have time to think about me? But then when I look back in my life, and I think you guys can do the same thing, if you look at back at moments in your life, you could say in earnest, God was reaching out to me, or God was talking to me, or God was thinking about me, because in retrospect, we see those moments. We don't always think about them or see those moments moving forward, do we? Because it's kind of our way, our time, our thing. But if you really think about it, and, it, it, and we can look back and say, God, God was really reaching out to me. Your God saved me. Your God interceded for me. Your God really got me out of that mess. You guys, we can all think of like dozens of those things, can't we? Like, how did God do this for me? How did I come from jail into a program where I'm safe? And then how did God give me such a godly mentor? You know, I think about Ernst and Casey, you know, I mean, he got so lucky, and I thought it was also comical because, you know, he's a talker, and the first book that Ernst gave him was about not talking so much. Like, amen, let's just get right to the point, dude, shut up and listen, right? But that was good. But we have to be willing, I've been really hitting on this a lot lately, we have to be willing to get to that point where it's like, all right, I'm going to listen. I'm going to be that person. I am going to admit that my, my strength actually comes from the Lord. As men, we have to admit sometimes, actually, it's Google Maps that got me to my, got me to my destination, right? And I say that because we, we want to think we know how to get where we're going. I don't need Google Maps. I don't need the old fold-out map. I don't need a Thomas guide. I'm a man. I know where I'm going. Nobody needs to tell me. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, we want to admit, or we want to think that we're doing it, but we have to really say to ourselves, really honest, when the, 
when it comes down to where, is, where does my strength come from? And if your answer is your strength is coming from yourself, boy, you got a lot of work to do. You really do, because it's, it's trying to, to do all those things that we've tried to do for so long. I remember hearing a long time ago, like in an AA meeting many, many years ago, your best effort got you here tonight. And I really had to think about it and think, yeah, I mean, this was never in my plan. You know, this, I, this isn't anywhere or anything or anywhere near I thought I would be at this point in my life, but... My best efforts, my best thoughts, my best doing got me there. But then I had to really think about that and, and say, well, you know, that's not even necessarily true because it had not been for God, I wouldn't have been there. Because my best efforts and my best thoughts would have put me in the ground a long time ago. Amen? I'm looking at Mark and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I thank God that I didn't know Mark. I do. I do. When we, when we got to know each other and we ran in a lot of the same circles and we had a lot of the same stories and knew a lot of the same people, and I was like, how did we never meet? But thank God we didn't, right? I'm glad that I know him now, but had we known each other then, one or both of us would have probably been dead. You know, so why in God's great wisdom did he not allow that meeting to ever happen, but to happen later in life when I can come to the Lord and Mark had come in desperation? And Mark's favorite thing is he said, I didn't so much become willing, I became pliable. I became willing to be willing, right? It wasn't, not everybody is radically saved. You know, some people have to dig and scratch for years and years and years and years to gain any ground. Amen? And the beauty of my testimony or my story is I was both. I scratched for years and years and years and program after program and separation after separation and living in my car and living in hotels for like years, you know? To then, to then to be radically saved then. So I know what it's like to be on both sides. I know what it's like to scratch it out and dig it out and just show up when you don't want to show up and do, what, you know, do the things that you know that you should do, but you don't want to do. I don't want to go to church, right? I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to hang out with Christians. They're boring, Right? I, hang out, I hung out on Saturday with five, five bridge guys, six total. Man, we had fun. Man, we had fun, right? We had a blast. It was, it was something that Mark and I used to do. We went, and we ate, and then we drank, and then we drove, and then we ate some more, and then we drove some more, and then we ate some more, until everybody was screaming, no more! But there were no drugs. There was no alcohol. There was nothing inappropriate. You know, we showed up at this gas station, and uh, I'm like inside waiting to order chicken just after we left the other restaurant. Uh, if you know me and fried chicken, man, I'm telling you, if there's a gas station that's selling fried chicken, it's got to be good. I mean, come on, gas stations sell gas, right? So if they're selling fried chicken, it's got to be good, right? So I'm standing there in this big old line waiting to buy chicken. I look outside and 
Chad's just up there chatting up these guys who are just like covered in tats. I'm like, oh no. Oh no, what's going on? So, I mean, I trust Chad. You know, the guy's showing him his neck tats and his, all of his tats, and they're, they're telling stories. And I'm like, all right, I need to go check on these guys. I walk out there. The, the tatted out dude's wearing this hat that says Jesus, right? They're from a Christian rehab in Hayward, right? They're talking tats. They're talking Jesus. We're talking fried chicken, right? I got, we got to meet their director, who loves fried chicken as much as I do. So imagine that, right? That that's, not, that's not our old behavior, right? That's not what we would have used to have been doing. But when God changes you, you look at things differently, and you're able to go in there, and people that you would not have anything in common with, previously maybe except an addiction, you now have Christ in common. And you're talking about how long you've been sober, How's your rehab? How many people? Is this chicken really good? You know, I ask every person in that little gas, everybody said, this chicken is phenomenal. And it was, it was phenomenal. And we were, we were so full we could barely walk. You know, we're in the line like, oh. Because we just ate at this, this buffet where you have a two-hour table limit. All the meat you could eat for two hours, right? We left after an hour and 55 minutes. So I would say we got our, we almost hit our table time limit. And so we, we went from there to a, a boba place, and we got salted cheese foam boba. I know it sounds weird, but it's not. Ask Michelle. It's really good. And then we show up at the chicken place 20 minutes later. So I say all that to make all you guys hungry. No, I say all that to say when people commit or submit, things change. You have fun in ways you never thought possible. I would have never thought riding in a van with a bunch of guys at a rehab and eating would be so much fun. But I, I enjoyed myself deeply. I enjoyed meeting these guys from a whole different world in Hayward doing rehab the Lord's way and hearing what's going on in their lives. That was fun. But that... It's not something we can do on our own. The, the Lord, I believe, set up that appointment. He allowed us to have that, that meeting there. He allowed us to enjoy that day of fellowship and fun and give us something to look forward to and to also remind us, if you're going to go back to doing what you're used to doing, you're not, this is not going to happen anymore. You know, we, we are shown grace and mercy in this new way of life, and when you try to go back, it's never the same. It's never the same. It's never, it's, you, never, you never get that high. You never, and even more than that, you never get peace. You never fully get peace to be submitted back to your old lifestyle. You always have that, oh, I, I know I shouldn't be doing this, or I hope I don't see anybody I know, right? And I, one gentleman that I uh, uh, that I'm uh, was close with for years, he's a good friend of or of Austin's. Um, he, t he he always shared with me the story that when he relapsed, um, it was two thirty in the morning, and his he was smoking meth, and his aunt called him in the house because she uh, was listening to me on the radio at like two thirty in the morning, 
I used to have this radio show on KKMC, and they were playing a rerun at like 2.30 in the morning, and he was like, man, man, that ruined my high. As soon as I walked in there and I heard your voice, it was like, man, it was, you ruined my whole night. I said, amen. Amen, brother. I am so glad I ruined your night. All right, so we're going to pick it up in Romans 8, verse 24. It says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope is seen. Hope seen is not hope. For what hope, excuse me, for, for who hopes for what he sees? But if he hopes for what he does not see, he waits for it with patience. You know, I think a lot of us, if you don't know the Lord, you're kind of hoping there's something there. But a lot of you that are coming to church and you're, you're, you're experiencing this different lifestyle, you're, you're hoping to experience that change. You're hoping that you begin to grow in your faith, and you're hoping that you make the connections that you need to make, and you're hoping that it's scary, isn't it? Because the life you've left in addiction, you know it. It's familiar. It, it goes nowhere. There is no future at all in that life, is there? There's none. So you're comfortable there because you know it. There is no expectation. Nobody expects anything. Everybody, the expectation people have of you is, yeah, you're going to be in jail. You're going to be doing all the things that you normally do. But when you, when you come to this saving faith and this saving grace and you become sober, people begin to look at you. There's an expectation that the Lord has, your friends and family have. The expectation is now that you've met Jesus Christ that you're going to begin to bear fruit, that things are, things are going to begin to change in your life. You're going to be able to see Jesus in your life, not just Talk the talk, because we can all talk the talk, can't we? But what it comes down to it is now people are looking at us. Are we, are, we, are we walking out our faith? We're saying we're living this way, but do our actions show that we're living that way? You know, does it look the same or are we just, is it lip service? Are we saying, oh yeah, praise Jesus, my life is different. But if somebody was to actually look at your life, it was like, there's nothing different. And sometimes that's because when we start, people start having expectations, we start having expectations of ourselves, and it, it frightens us. It's like now people are looking at me, they expect me to change. I know I want to change, I should change, but it's kind of scary. Because what if I genuinely mess up? I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, if you're going to try and you're going to put your effort, if you mess up, that's okay. Because the people that are around you, they love you and they will support you. You know, I, and I'm not saying this as an excuse, but sometimes relapse or setbacks is a part of your recovery. Amen. You know, if you've had a setback or a mistake, it's not an excuse to continue in that behavior. You know, now let me get this straight. Now, there are sometimes that we plan to do something that we shouldn't do, but there are honestly, there are times when it's just like, what the heck happened? I had no intention. I didn't plan this. I ran into this guy. I, I, I didn't have my guard up. I, you know, I wasn't prayed up. I wasn't watching out. And something went wrong. That happens. It does. It doesn't make you a horrible or a bad person. It continues to make you a forgiven person. Amen? But that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Because then you reach out to those 
brothers and sisters around you, you let them surround you, you let them build you up and get strength back in you, and you move forward. I know that it's scary changing. I know that it's scary. I know every one of those steps, you're going into the unknown, and it's like, what else? Yeah, do I have to keep doing good? You know, sometimes it's easier to say, you know, the, the, the old life was easier, man. You, you go to jail, people put money on your books, you order commissary, you make stupid, you know, pizzas that don't taste like pizzas. You know, you make all these spreads and you convince yourself you're on the outside eating at some, like, five-star restaurant. You know, whenever, tamales, baby, right? But everything's actually just made out of top ramen, right? That's not the way I want to live. So it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, what the heck does that mean? That was a mystery to me. So this invisible thing that I can't see, this Spirit is going to help me. Oh, you betcha. You betcha, Marge, right? Because it does. If you pray for the Spirit to help you, the Spirit will show up. You know, this, the Holy Spirit is, is real. It's part of the Trinity. It's the third part of the Trinity. But you need to pray earnestly. Not like daring, like dare you, you know, I dare you to show up. You know, but you need to earnestly pray and believe that the Spirit will help you because I want you to, again, like I said earlier, look back at times in your life when you've prayed for something and you're like, you really maybe didn't think of it, about it then, but you're like, oh, I bet you that was the spirit working in my life, right? Because you know, you know that you know that you know when you're out doing when you're not supposed to do and you see the blue lights behind you. Who's the first person you ask for? Oh, God. Help me, Jesus. Don't let me get pulled over, right? You pray before court. Even non-believers pray before court, you know? Dear Jesus, I don't know if you're there, but please help me, right? Please help me. Isn't that true? But then when you actually get into a position and you find out this isn't just some pie-in-the-sky person that you pray to, this is actually a, an actual person, you know? This is an actual person. And the Spirit is actually real. And you can pray for the Holy Spirit. You can pray for guidance. You can pray for direction, you know? Because when I didn't have Christ in my life, my life had no direction. But then once I met Christ and I prayed for direction, he guided my steps. You know, I, you know God, I want to do this or I want to do that, you know. But we can't pray with a laundry list, right? Oh, God, give me this, give me that, give me that, give me that. You know, he's not going to Costco for you, you know. And if you don't know how to pray, then you, you pray. You know, one of the greatest things you can pray is like, God, I don't really know what I should pray for, for right now. But I want to pray for your will in my life. How about you tell me what to pray for? You know, and if you seek the Spirit, and if you're quiet, and if you think about it, then all of a sudden you're going to be praying things for like, get, you know, God, help me to know you better. Help guide me. Help lead me. Put the right people in my life. You know, help me to understand your word. Because the Bible is not a super easy book for somebody who's been on a drug run for 20 years and just spent 15 years in prison, right, to come out and open up and go, oh, yeah, I totally get it, right? It's not. I mean, when I started reading the Bible, first of all, well, y'all know I didn't believe it. 
I thought this was all just like a scam club so people had jobs. And I don't say that flippantly. I mean, that's what I believed. That's what I was taught as a kid, that it was just this big social club and, you know, pastor made 100 grand a year and the people got to play their instruments and, you know, play more music so more people can get in from their cars to get put more money in the basket. And so when I started actually looking at that and meeting Christian people, I'm like, well, first of all, none of this makes any sense. You know, all these stories and these people and the begot and the begot and the this and the relate. Like, I don't care who's related to who, you know. And, and for me, looking at it, it was like, how am I ever going to understand this? But when you start reading the Bible, remember when you're a kid, you open those books and they pop up? I mean, I know this sounds corny, but the more you read the Bible, it's all of a sudden, this, it's like, poof. It's like, oh, now that connected to that, oh, and then you start to understand it, and you start, you start to say, well, well, now I see how that applies to my life, because the Bible is talking about honesty and loyalty and respect and love, and, and you know, it talks a lot in the book of Proverbs about, you know, don't move an ancient, ancient boundary, so I'm like, What's, what does that mean, you know? Now, think about how many times we've, anybody, golfers in here, Right? You know? Yeah, Austin, yeah, right? Oh, oh that's, oh, that's my ball over there. You know, it's not an ancient boundary stone, but he's fudging his ball. He's cheating, right? Stealing points, right? So you start to look at it, and you're like, oh, the Bible's telling me that I shouldn't steal, that I should be honest, that I should show respect, and I should show honor. And you start thinking about it, and you're like, wow, when I do all these things, my life is totally different. It's like, wow, isn't that crazy? I start having friends that I would have never had. People start to respect you. People start to ask you questions. People start to believe in you. And you're like, why is he asking me? You know? Why is he asking me? I remember, the, I remember one time here, Kelly, the bookkeeper, called me because she needed something in the safe. And she didn't want to drive all the way from her house. So I, she had me go into the safe closet. And I was like, and she wanted me to open the safe. And my hand was shaking so bad. And I told Kelly, I said, Kelly, I don't, I'm shaking because do you, do you know how long, it, how long I had to follow ushers around this church to even find out where the safe was? Because my master plan was to break into the church and steal the safe. Because I knew there was cash in there, right? And now here I'm on staff at a church that I wanted to rob and I'm opening the safe. Oh, man, I was shaking. But you know how good it felt to open it, grab a piece of paper, give her the information, and close it? I don't need that money. I don't owe anybody money. I don't need to buy dope. I work here, right? But that is what God desires for all of us. He desires that level of trust, that level of honesty. He desires to do things in our life that we would have never dreamed of doing before. It says, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know, like I said, if you don't know what to pray for, say that. You know, praying is not this magical, mystical, have to be on your knees in a dark closet or some kind of crazy place, burning incense, right? You could pray anywhere you're at. You could pray while you're cooking eggs in the morning. You could pray in the shower. You could pray while you're putting on makeup. Michelle listens to 
Bible teachings in the mornings when she's getting ready, and she lit, and so, but this is my hang-up. She listens to them at like 10 speed. You know, it's like, like, so I'm being all spiritual. I'm like, well, I can't listen to that. It's a pet peeve. So, but does that make her, I have to listen to them at regular speed. I know Chuck Smith speaks really slowly. Everybody that's ever been to Bible college has to do what they call Chuck tracks, listen to his sermons and write notes. Always, oh, we have to listen to him on six times because he's so slow. I couldn't do that. I thought, that, that is not spiritual, right? It's got to be at the right speed. No, it's just, it's, that, that's my hang-up just because I can't compute that fast. And I can't, it doesn't mean it's not right. That's the way she chooses to do it. But at least she's doing it, right? It's that don't make excuses why you can't do something. It's like get in all you can. You know, pray that the Spirit, like, you know, you know, Spirit, I don't know how to pray. Please help me, help me pray. He, please help me know what God's will for my life is. You know, God's will for your life is for you to get to know him better, for you to be a better person, for you to be honest, for you to be respectful, not that you have a new, you know, a new ride or a new girl or win the lottery or buy a $20,000 scratcher. I mean, think about it. Be reasonable. What does God want you to have? He wants you to have a good and wholesome and holy life, you know? He knows that car is going to get you in trouble, right? He knows you can't afford the insurance on it. He knows you're going to pick up a DUI if you start doing that, or you're going to attract the wrong kind of people. But oftentimes we think that we, when we don't get what we pray for, that, you know, God didn't hear me. You know, the Spirit must not have heard me because I, I wanted that F-150 so bad, right? And I didn't get it. I ended up with this beater used Mazda, whatever, you know? But think about it, you still end up with a car, amen? So we have to really think about what does God want in our life, you know? The Spirit intercedes for us, and he also searches hearts, and he knows what... <laughs> Isn't that scary? When, when we know the Spirit, can, he's searching our hearts, because our heart is what our, our heart is, what our heart is. What we try to do sometimes is we try to make other people think their heart is different than it is. You know, no, I'm a really nice guy. You know, but the spirit sees the true heart. And once I figured that out, that like scared me. I mean, so I was like, so I wasn't fooling him all of these years? I might have fooled my wife. You know, I might have fooled my kids, I might have fooled my employers, I might have fooled the people around me, but once I realized that I wasn't fooling God, it scared the heck out of me. It's like I knew he could like just, just, you know, you know when you're a kid and your mom looks at you like, man, you're in trouble. She knows. She knows. She knows everything that I did. I, I know she knows. You know, that's the spirit. The, the, the spirit knows. You, you can't hide from the Spirit of God, you know? So, so the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, and we know that for those who love God, that all things work together for good. So, but let me, let me qualify that, because sometimes things happen, and we say, well, see, that can't be true. See, there are a couple of things, there there. there there is conviction, there's condemnation, but there's also a thing called natural consequences. If I go out and I, and I rob a bank, 
right? And I become a Christian while I'm going to court. I'm going to have the full experience of being a believer. I'm going to experience the full grace and mercy of Christ. I am. He's going to love me just as he would have loved me no matter what, right? He is not going to condemn me. I might feel a conviction like, man, I shouldn't have done that. But I still got to go to court. I, I broke the law. And if I end up going to prison, that doesn't mean that the spirit wished something bad on me, right? It means that I did something stupid. I broke man's law. And there is a, there's a consequence. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. It doesn't mean the spirit's not listening to me because I have to maybe go spend some time in jail or some time in prison. You know, I've heard the judges so many times because a lot of times people, I know you, this is going to be a shock, sometimes people in jail that are facing a lot of years, they call me because they want to get into a program, right? Because all of a sudden, a year at the bridge sounds way better than 10 years, amen? And they, man, they get, they, man, they get up and they sell it hard to the judge. You know, I, I visit him, I believe in them, I write them letters, you know, dear sir, blah, 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 this person deserves an opportunity, and, and uh, man, they get up, man, oh, judge, can I speak? And they, man, they just sell it. They just, man, they, they're pretty convincing. You know, uh, you know the, I believe that God really wants me to be in this Christian program, and, you know, and he really wants me to change it. Yeah, he does want you to change your life. But I remember one time this judge said, I, I believe you. I believe that God wants you to go into the bridge. And I believe that, I do believe that he wants you to change your life. I, I believe that. And you know what? When you get out of prison, because I am going to sentence you to your, to your 12 years, God's still going to be there. He's still going to love you. The bridge is still going to be there. Right? Now, but that should be good, right? No, now they're mad at God. I mean, I'm, what I'm telling you right now is a true story. I got a call later. Oh, stupid God. Stupid, if, man. Now, nah, this is a joke. I said, well, this is not the conversation we had yesterday. Yesterday you believed in God. Yeah, but if, if he was real, he wouldn't have had me go to prison. So that's why I'm trying to qualify what I'm saying to you guys so that you always understand clearly what I'm saying. God loves you. It's not God's, the, the scripture I started out with, and this is why I'm winding back up here, the scripture that I started with, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, are the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. That comes from Jared 29 11. 29, 11. He told the people that while they were in captivity, right? So I'm, I'm sure there were those who thought, oh, we're getting out, right? We are getting out of jail. We're getting out of captivity. We're going to be released out of captivity. Because did you hear what God just said? He says he has a plan for us. He has a future for us. This isn't it. So we, we, that must mean we're going. Man, roll it up. Right? We're getting out like any minute. No, but that's not what happened. That's not what happened. He said, he was basically saying, this was not my plan for you. I warned you. I told you 
to stop being disobedient, to stop disobeying me, or you were going to be carried away into captivity. So these were not the plans that I had for you. I had, I had good plans. I had plans, a future and a hope, but it's still there. And they had to spend many, many more years in captivity. So what I'm saying is if you're going through a hardship or a trial in your life because of choices you made during your addiction, don't blame God for those. Don't, it's not his fault. It's not the Spirit's fault. It's our fault. Take personal responsibility and know that what he says still stands true. I'm going to be here with you through those times. You may be kind of mad. But I'm here with you, and I will be right here with you. I'll be in this cell with you. Right? Amen? So don't be angry. But as we learn about God, and we understand God, and we start to learn the scriptures, and we start to read the scriptures, then we could see the hope in them. You know, you could just quickly read through this, like, day two as a Christian, and you'd be like, what? What What do you mean? That doesn't even make sense. But as you begin to read them and look at your life in the context of these scriptures, you then see that, no, God loves you. He wants the spirit to be a part of your life. And you may be in times of difficulty. And there may be trials and troubles ahead. You know, if you look at the book of James, the book of 1 Peter, I mean, there are so many things where it's just like, just be patient and be where you're at now. Let God work in your life where you're at today, right? Just be happy with today. Be patient with today. Let him work in your life today. And then the, the, the beauty of Scripture, I love one of my favorite his mercies are new every day. What is tomorrow going to bring? You know, you don't know what God is going to do in your life. But what we need to do, and Jonathan, you can go ahead and start getting ready uh, what you need to do is to be patient and believe that whatever is coming, that God will give you the strength and the courage and the willpower, and he'll put people in your life that will love you. Now, I promise you, and I shared the story that, uh, about Chad, that, that Vanessa met Chad's sister at Ross, I think, or Marshall's. Marshall's. And they prayed that he would get arrested. Days later, he got arrested. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think Chad thought when he was getting cuffed, oh, the Lord must have a plan for my life? <laughs> I, I promise you he didn't. And if he would have known his sister prayed for him to get arrested, I can only imagine what he'd be saying in his head, you know? But think about it. It wasn't the Lord's desire for Chad to be imprisoned. It wasn't the Lord's desire for him to suffer. It was the Lord's desire for him to be put into a place where he would meet people that love him, that would treasure him, that would walk with him, that would teach him, that would grow with him. So right now, if you could picture this, you know, Chad's got his, he's got his training wheels on, right? And if we keep in them all you can eat buffets, you're going to need actual training wheels, right? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, so if you think about it, God did answer prayer. Prayer, prayer, bread, bread. God did answer prayer. 
So you, 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 it's not always in the way that we think. You know, it's not like zap, right? There's hardship. It's not easy. You got to get arrested. Then you have got to be willing to say, God, all right, you got my attention. I'm still. Let's, let's see what this is. But you have your part. You have to be willing. God could get you arrested every single day if he desired. But if you don't finally say, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. What do I have to lose? Because what I am doing is clearly not working. You know, if that's what God needs to do to get your attention, then that's what God needs to do to get your attention, you know. Or you can get radically saved by the holy smackdown, right? But that's not pretty, right? I prayed for God to deliver me from heroin, and he did. You know, boom, you're in a coma. Six weeks later, you wake up, and wow, you're not addicted to heroin anymore. Well, that was kind of a not-so-nice way of doing it, you know? All right, but hey, it worked, right? So, but what I'm saying is, while you have an opportunity to choose, Choose an easier, choose a, like a better way, right? Coma for six weeks totally works, totally works. Absolutely guarantee you it works. If you go into a coma for six weeks, you will wake up and you will not be addicted to anything. I didn't even know I smoked when I woke up. Somebody said something about smoking. I said, I smoked? I didn't smoke. Yes, honey, you smoked for, I, I didn't, I, I've never smoked. Hey, it works, Amen. But it's much easier to just ask the Spirit to help guide you and to lead you, you know. It did, and he will. If you are obedient and you listen, he will. Julio, are you back there? So Julio, and I'm going to share this. I know I'm going a little bit long, but I've shared a long time ago, Julio was the most stubborn bridge guy in 17 years, ever, ever, ever. Okay, get an amen? amen? All right. And he annoyed me so bad one day. I was so angry with him, I drove over to Second Chance to kick him out. And I pulled up there, and I got out of the car, and I was fired up. He was more fired up. And we went toe-to-toe. We were yelling at each other. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, but we were. I mean, and he was, like, yelling louder than me. And... I said, you know what? You're out. Get your butt out of here. Take a hike. Come back later and pick up your stuff. Fine! I don't want to be here anyway. I said, okay. Okay. That's fine. Then leave. And he, man, he just like whipped around. And he started stomping up the hill. He got about halfway up the hill and he whipped around. And he looked at me and he goes, but what if I don't want to leave? And I said, Julio, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit moment. I'm not even going to tell Michelle that I just threw you out. Because she's gone. I think she was at the dump somewhere. She was gone. I said, if by some miracle Michelle comes home tonight and says, I don't know what got into Julio, that he was phenomenal today, I won't throw you out. And lo and behold... Michelle came home from work, and she said, I don't know what got into Julio today. But man, he was cleaning everything. He was organizing. He was straightening. 
He was so nice. He was so respectful. Holy Spirit. But I say that to say that Huli was one of those guys that, that I never thought would make it, that Michelle never thought would make it, that Austin never thought would make it, that nobody thought would make it. But to look at him now, to become a stepdad and a new dad, right? He got his Class A license two days ago, right? And there are times when I knew he was struggling, I would call him and say, Hilly, I know you're struggling. Can I buy you groceries? Can I buy you? No. No, I'm, I'm going to be, the Lord will, I'm going to be good. We'll be taken care of. No, seriously, I want to I wanna, I wanna fill your car up with gas. I want to buy you a great, no. No, I'm good. We're good. We're going to be fine. I'm like, this guy is giving me a lesson in faith, you know? And so I'm so proud of him. You know, I'm so proud to call him my friend. I'm so proud of what he's done. He's been a super good husband. He's a super good dad. He's a super good stepdad, which is not easy, Right? And he has followed through multiple tries and multiple failures to then be successful in, in getting his Class A license. You know, now I hope he gets this great job and, and continues to walk with the Lord. But I'm just trying to show you what submitting and not being too ashamed to say, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I'm mad at you right now. I don't like you right now but I know I need to be here, so I don't want to leave. And then to stay and to submit yourself to change is not easy. And I'm, so that's true for all of us, right? Change is not easy. So, Lord, we just thank you for, for your scriptures. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us and direct us. And Lord, we thank you that we could be here to support one another, to love one another, to be a community of Jesus-loving people who just really took a wrong turn in our lives, Lord. And please continue to work in our lives, Lord. Continue to grow us. We pray for successes, Lord. And most of all, I want to lift up all the people that are out there daily that I see struggling and just, just barely making it through the day, Lord, to get their fix, their high, to stay well, to stay warm, looking for food, Lord. I just pray that you would, Lord, just reach those people and just Give them the desire to do something different, Lord. I, I, I pray that you would connect them with somebody that's here, connect them with the church, Lord, and give them the opportunity to meet you, to experience you, and to live a whole new life. So we just thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.